Well, Jeremy, I am very much looking forward to the ISAS meeting, which will be, I think, in Boca Raton in 2021. Is that correct? That's correct. May 6th to the 8th. Oh, great. Fantastic. Tell us about the meeting. Tell us about what we can expect the ISAS and how exciting it's going to be. I think the annual meeting next year will actually be superb. It's under new leadership, and that leadership has absolutely committed to refocusing the meeting. And it's going to refocus on being highly practical. It's going to focus on new techniques, new technologies, and the information you get from that meeting is the type of information you can go back to your practice next week and implement it and use it. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today I'm joined uh, by Mike McMillan, who is a longtime friend. I first heard about Mike McMillan when I was a junior resident at USC, and my chief, Udi Mendel, who's now at Ohio State, he did a fellowship with Rick Fessler. And Rick Fessler, uh, who's been on this podcast, is famous in spine. He was at University of Florida before, and he was there for a long time, and his partner was Mike McMillan. So when Udi came back to USC, he told me all about new kinds of technologies. And he said, listen, I did my fellowship with Rick Fessler, but the guy you really got to meet is Mike McMillan. And he then went into why that was. And over the years, I've learned uh, what a genius Mike is. He's kind of like John Adler. He's like the orthopedic equivalent of John Adler. Um, John Adler, as we talked about, invented the cyber knife and curious and all that. Mike is an orthopedic surgeon, but let me have him introduce himself. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Michael, thank you very much. Mike meeting Mike. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little about your history and and, and where you trained and and grew up and all that. Well, I'm I'm sort of uh, an itinerant brat. My dad worked with IBM. So I was born in Queens, New York. And and then my travels took us to upstate New York, back to New York City, I uh, lived in Germany as a kid, uh, went to Washington, D.C. for a uh, number of years, kind of ended up in uh, North Carolina, where I went to college at North Carolina State University and then med school at University of North Carolina. Is that Tar Heel or? Tar Heels are, yeah, Tar Heels are the University of North Carolina and the Wolfpack is uh, North Carolina State. Right, great. And then you were at, at University of Florida for a long time, right? Yes. And that was a place where, I mean, I, I, I I think when I was applying in the 90s, I mean, Al Roten was running this huge shop. Yes. And all these guys, Art Day, Bill Friedman, Rick Fessler, I mean, it was a big place. And so, so tell us a little about your time at UF in Gainesville. Well, UF was a very nice experience. The, um, uh, there's sort of a, was a network of Southeastern academic institutions. And there was some uh, connection between UNC and North Carolina and UF. I didn't want to stay at UNC where I did med school and residency for whatever reason. So um, I uh, applied and was fortunate to match with the uh, University of Florida. Um, and it was, it was a, an excellent experience at many different levels. My chairman was um, Dr. Bill Enneking, 
who uh, was a consummate clinician um, uh, researcher, and uh, his specialty was bone physiology. So okay. I really, uh, you know, that didn't know how important that would be in spine till you know later, but that really helped helped me in my uh, my journey through spine. And you overlapped with a lot of icons like Reg Hayde and. Rick Fessler well, and the, folks, right? The journey's interesting. I'll, go, I'll kind of delve into that a little bit. It's maybe our early topic. I, the, um, uh, a, a very interesting uh, uh, impression on me was made by the neurosurgeon there doing spine surgery, instrumented spine surgery in 1981, George Seipert. And our role uh, was, uh, apropos to, to bone physiology, is uh, we would come in and do the bone grafting. And um, so, but in the course of it, I got to interact with Dr. Seipert and he was, uh, he began with knot rod fusions of the lumbar spine. Yes. Not K-N-O-T? Oh yeah, K-N-O-D-T. K-N-O-D-T. Yeah, and, yeah. And George has a castle in Scotland or something like that, right? Yes, 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 yes. So, but, uh, but uh, we developed a little relationship and he used to, he used to do the uh, spine fractures with Harrington rods you know, back in the day. And um, uh, so he, st- he knew I was interested, so he called me in. We had worked with the neurosurgery residents, even as a resident, sort of off the books. I don't know if you can do that now mm-hmm. and uh, help with that. So the um, so that, that ended up being a, a great introduction because I had the opportunity to do an AO fellowship uh, as a fifth year resident. It was a six year residency back then. and. Um, uh, and I, they list what he interested in. Usually it's trauma, but I put spine down there, and uh, they shipped me off to uh, in 1984 to uh, St. Gallen, Switzerland. And uh, there was some guy there named uh, Fritz Magerl. <laughs> Magerl. Yeah. Yes. So M A G E R L, right? Yes. Magerl, yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, so my I, my first day in Switzerland, I, I walk in there, and he's doing an odontoid screw in 19 you know 85. Wow. He was, you know, truly a, a giant. That whole that whole institution was, you know, off the hook in spine. And yeah, because this is the era where people didn't even know how to put a screw in, right? There weren't pedicle screws. No there, screws, right? There, there probably, I think Steffi was putting in maybe pedicle screws yeah. in the mid-80s, and, but just wasn't part of Because the knot rod, that's with cable or wire? Knot rod uh, was an interesting little device. It was a, uh, a, a turnbuckle that created distraction, and, okay. and he would... So uh, uh, George would uh, uh, do the laminectomies. We'd put the bone graft in, then he'd put the knot rods in to distract it. But not three-dimensional fixation, not not that era. No, where no. You, so you no. go to Switzerland, you start to see things that are like totally see things, different. And, and Dr. Morrow was doing everything. My, my second operation was uh, he was doing translaminar screws with a fusion. You know, lumbar? Uh, lumbar translaminar screws. Wow. And he, I remember him telling me that uh, I won't have any problem following up this patient. He is my brother-in-law. <laughs> so, uh, but that was extremely stimulating. I, I left that experience, you know, and I was doing spine. You know, that was, there was no doubt about it. So I, I know about you in a certain context because, you know, I don't interact yeah. with you a yeah. lot. But what Udi Mendel told me 
when he came back to USC is he said, listen, this Mike McMillan guy, he is a genius in terms of thinking about things differently. I'm gonna tell two quick stories about you. The first was about the wazoo screw, and I, I won't tell the story, but right. the wazoo screw sounds a little crazy, but it ended up being something that was a big deal in spine for a while and might come back. And the second was this one time we were having dinner about 10 years ago, and you came up to me and you said, God, you know, sometimes you see a big fat spinous process in the lumbar spine, maybe you could go right through the middle of it and decompress the canal. And I'm like, dude, you're crazy. Nobody would think about that. And eight months later in the journal of neurosurgery, there's the marmot procedure developed by the Japanese and then the Taiwanese. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I, I was so close-minded, I couldn't even see that you were presenting to me something that people are already trying to do. And you had never heard of it, right? You just came up with this idea. Yeah, independently. And, and that happens a lot in spine. You know, people have the same problems and they can independently come up with similar solutions. So why are some people so ready to think about the new ways of doing things and other people are, are basically stuck, stuck in concrete? They can't even get past what they're doing now, you know? I could probably discuss that at length. Um, the, uh, my, my personal interpretation of that, and, and uh, if, you, if you have some skills in some area, you like them in others. And, and, and um, I tend to be an autodidact. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't absorb information well. well what is that, autodidact? Like, pe people have to teach themselves things. So I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, it's prob I probably have some DSM category that that applies to. But I, but I think if you don't uh, input information well, that you're forced to look at things through your own perspective. And so I, I, I think I sort of uh, leveraged that, uh, you know, disability into something that where I could look at things with a fresh set of eyes. You mean like, for example, if you were to read a book or something, you wouldn't process that information as quickly? Or? Yeah, it's, it's different. It's, you know, like I said, I'm sure there's some DSM category for that. But, but the advantage to that is that you, you force to process things yourself. Yeah. So anyway, so, uh, so I you know, was, was able to look at the problems that we have and, and come up with solutions uh, without I, I would never turn to a textbook to try to find some problems. I always try to figure it out myself. What do you think that has an implication in the modern era? I'll give you an example. So I grew up in, a, in an era when there was a proliferation of printed literature, like journals and yes. whatnot. And so what we would do as residents is you'd go to the library or whatever, you'd look through a journal, you'd flip through it, and you'd see all these different things, right? And you'd be like, oh, I never intended to look at this paper, but this one looks interesting. And you'd kind of look at the abstract. Maybe you'd read it, maybe you wouldn't. And nowadays it seems like, okay, so, uh, in medical school, it's like, okay, I need to research uh, what the diagnosis might be for this lesion in the lung. And then they go look specifically for that, and they only get the information the computer spits back at them, which is partly what they put into the computer. Yes. And does it, do you think it might restrict people's thinking? It clearly has an impact. I, I'm, you know, again, I'm not an expert in, uh, in learning techniques, but... Um, uh, if you're not given the opportunity to think about the problem yourself and to logically come through what is a reasonable solution in your own mind, if your first step, and and it's great to have Google, it's great. I mean, to have all the all, all the information at your fingertips, but there's no processing that goes on when you read Google. There's no logical, uh, you know, inferences that you have to make 
that directly relate to the problem. Well, the logic's on the side of Google, Google now, right? They yeah, exactly. the logic. Yeah. yeah, and it's not logic, it's just brute force information. Right. And so brute force information has its own place and, it's, and, it's a, and, and in, in times of need, it's great to have Google. But in terms of advancing the field, you're not gonna advance the field by looking at the existing knowledge base. You know, you, yeah, so I, I, I read the Wall Street Journal every day and I read it two ways. I read it on my phone and I also read it in paper. And I really prefer reading it on paper. And I, you know, I go to the gym and I read you know, the paper as I'm at the gym and everybody looks at me like, you're an idiot, man. Why don't you just read on your phone? You're killing trees. And you know, why are you reading in the gym, right? But I find that when I flip through the paper, I see all kinds of things that I somehow don't see online. And I don't think it's about the how. It's, I don't think it's about the information not being there. I think it's no. how it's delivered. Uh, you, you, I, I, you're you're touching another. You know, of my my old uh, heritage beliefs. In the old days, if, if when you wanted to find something, you had to go to the library, and there's this thing called Index Medicus, and you'd start in that, and you'd find the latest review article, and then then the latest review article would have all the references, and then you'd. Uh, find all the appropriate uh, um, uh, articles, and you'd cart all these uh, bound manuscripts to the Xerox machine, right. and you'd photocopy. flip them and photocopy yeah, them. Photocopy them yeah. and, uh, but there was a lot of uh, serendipity in that, too, because you had you know, journals, and in, invariably, when you're looking through a journal for something else, you'd see something else that popped up. Another thing that's not going to happen with Google, Google is going to be a very pointed tunnel vision uh, response to your query, whereas if you've got books in your hand or you're reading the Wall Street Journal, that uh, there's going to be a lot of incidental information, and those, you know, these that cro cross fertilization is the is the greatest pathway towards new development. So I've never heard the story directly from you. So tell me if if you could, if you're willing to, mm -hmm. about how you even dreamed up this wazoo screw and then of course you know we know about axial lift and it's going to come back that kind of stuff's going to come back uh, just because it's temporarily kind of died down tell us like were you did you wake up with the idea did you see something like what inspired you well i, I know the answer to that so but so I, again it kind of goes back to mogrel because his you know he he, he did the mogrel screw c12 fixation and there was a pathway through you know C1 where you can get in, or rather C2 where you can cross over in the joint and get in this, into C1. We call them transarticular screws yeah. now, right? Yeah. yeah, and you might see the relationship between the C12 screw and a uh, L, uh, sacral lumbar fixation. And um, so during my spine fellowship, we had to do our own myelograms. And um, so the, 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 the seminal event for the wazoo screw was the outlet view of the pelvis. Because I was sitting there doing the myelogram. I think I sent the fluid off to be analyzed. I was sitting there killing time. And I had an outlet. When you look at an outlet view of the pelvis, uh, let me say, if you look at AP view of the pelvis and all the sacral foramina sort of are, are disjointed and you know the, the posterior foramina are not aligned with the anterior foramina, it looks like a, a, a honeycomb of, of, you know, channels and, and uh, 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 pathways. Uh, but when you flip the fluoro to the, to the outlet view, and the on-foss view of it, you see that there are these two large expanses of bone on either side. 
and it became and I had sort of incorporated the concept that that bone is a great pathway for fixation. I guess that's obvious, and uh, and I also knew that the lumbosacral spine L five S one was a critical element to the spine, and so the, the combination of those two things at first became just a fixation concept, fixation, fixation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, where I saw that, oh, you could, you know, you could easily pass through these um, conduits of bone and enter the L5 vertebral body. And then, uh, again, because of things I've learned, that, that you can leverage the tunnels for the uh, pathways into disc access portals. And you can do the discectomy through the same hole and the fixation. And, you know, that morphed into a basically a percutaneous L5-S1 fusion. So one of my junior partners, Timur Yurikov, just tried doing a similar thing, uh, which he innovated using harms cages. Right. I think it's similar to your, your Wazoo screw. And, you know, of course, you can talk about trans-1, the Bowman procedure for right. Spondy. You know, what, what struck me is I think you're ahead of your time because the problem with all these techniques is they're limited by linear trajectories. Yes. So if you overcome the linear trajectory, you could go all the way up the spine up to C2. Right? I mean, I'm sure you've right. already got a patent on this. <laughs> no. But, but yeah. you know, I, I, I really am fascinated by how your mind works. What are the new things you're thinking about now without divulging any secrets and all that? Because I know you've got lots of things on your mind. Well, it's, it's actually, again, it's sort of a cross-fertilization view. So um, uh, the, these trajectories we're talking about were very difficult. Uh, to access. You can imagine in 1988 trying to do sacral lumbar fixation um, and uh, so, you know, it wasn't widely, uh, widely uh, embraced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but the, but the, the uh, uh, growth of navigation and now the occurrence of robotics. So what, what I'm doing new really is, is to revisit these linear trajectories that you talk about and use the modern technology to make them more viable and accessible. Nobody, very few people could, could do the, the, the wazoo screw back in the day because of the three-dimensionality of it, but, but with preoperative three-dimensional planning and robotics, anybody can do it. So mm -hmm. I'm looking at that aspect as well. That's fascinating. Well, we'll have to have you back on the podcast. I'm always uh, happy to talk to you about these things because it really opens my mind as well. Great, Mike. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to spill my beans here. <laughs> <laughs> Great. If you want to get in touch with Mike McMillan, feel free to email us at the neurosurgery, I'm sorry, at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Okay. Thank you, Michael.